Inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders. This is the podcast for nomads, immigrants, third culture children, or anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. I'm your host, Nolan Yuma Jansons. If this is your first time tuning into the show, remember you can access language notes and a bunch of interesting articles at withoutborders.fyi. Today, I am here with Tima Durian. Um, she's made headlines when she became the youngest Arab and the first Lebanese woman to climb Mount Everest when she was just 26 years old. But we're not going to focus on that today. You can find a bunch of information about her mountaineering adventures on CNN, the New York Times, Vanity Fair. Um, but how I found out about Tima was through Borderless. And Borderless is an independent Lebanese nonprofit organization with a mission to create life-changing impact on the lives of vulnerable families. Uh, so Tima, can you, uh, well, first just tell us, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me over your put on your podcast today. I'm very excited to share uh, a little bit of my experience and a lot about Borderless uh, with without Borderless without borders so it goes really well borderless and without borderless same word so yeah thank you yeah. for having me. oh well thank you for being on the show i'm i'm really excited to have you here uh, and not to, no, i'm not gonna lie a little bit nervous as well because after doing all this research i just realized you you've been everywhere right <laughs> <I> um <laughs> so how how did you find borderless yourself or how did they contact you um, so Borderless came into my life in 2019 after I have uh, summited the Ice Mountain World Mount Everest. Um, so I did make it to uh, news and headlines because I became the first Lebanese woman and youngest Arab. And while they were doing their research to inspire children, because um, their main motto is uh, the freedom to dream and the power to achieve, uh, I came in, uh, in their search and they contacted me. And uh, this is when and it happened so readily because I, I was in Dubai and then I was flying to Lebanon and it was just the perfect timing. And uh, I went there and I shared my experience with the children and youth and women at the, in the at their community center. Um, and it speak a lot about how I climbed Everest and I was trying to inspire them and show them that there is no limitation to what they would think and dream of. Um, and from there, uh, I have been the relationship with Borderless and, um, every time I, I go back to Lebanon, I try to go to the center and see the kids, volunteer, play with them, do some sports. Um, and, uh, then I would go back to Dubai, but then right after the blast, I, I wanted to be on ground given that I, I run my own business. Uh, so I had the opportunity to work from anywhere in the world. So I decided to go to Lebanon because I wanted to be there for the people and with the people after the tragedy. Um, and to be there on the ground doing a proper impact, I realized um, I'd not choose anyone else except Borderless, knowing them, knowing their mission and how their values were aligned with my values. Um, so it was the perfect match. Uh, I contacted them and uh, yeah, we took it from there. I was on ground with them. Uh, every day in one of the most affected areas in Lebanon, uh, Carantina. Um, it's right next to the port. Um, and uh, and the story of the magic started happening from there. Okay. And did that also inspire you to write Curly Adventures? Uh, so Curly Adventures uh, did, so yes, Borderless did inspire me to write Curly Adventures because um, I've always wanted to write the book. But 
um, I never entertained that idea because first I can think of myself as a writer and so I thought just going there and sharing my experience and verbally speaking so and then I realized there was a lot of questions uh, kids wanted to know more and the more I spent time on ground the more children wanted to know more about the journey, uh, how I survived, how I climbed, the cold. So I'm like, you know what? One day I'm going to make a book so you all can read everything from there. And um, and I only started writing the book in 2020 or 21. Um, and uh, and yet they did inspire me, the children on the ground, to like go ahead and write it. And today it's, uh, it's published. Oh, okay. And are the children reading it now as well then? Um, I just translated into Arabic, so there is a lot of children reading it, and uh, soon, hopefully, on Christmas, I'll be uh, giving our, the Arabic copies to the children and boarders. Okay, and is the book answering all the children's questions, or are they now coming to you with even more questions? Uh, it is, but what's funny is that a lot of children find it very difficult to believe that there's a girl who went through all this journey and all that. And um, when I did those talks, I saw how children reacted when they saw the real stories, the real uh, pictures, I mean, and the videos. And seeing the contrast between the story, building a character, bringing the real character in, and then bringing the real footage is uh, is very interesting and impressive. And they do have more questions after seeing the real footage. Well, what I find interesting about that is that they found it difficult to believe. Uh, why do you think that is? Because you know how it is when it comes to um, how we're wired in general, when it comes to women's rights, when it comes to uh, the stereotypes uh, and how people view what a woman is. Um, so so I think it's uh, children are just wired to think that way. And this is what we're doing, trying to change that mindset with everything that we do about how a woman girl is viewed and not only with the children we also do that with the youth and women and um, these messages are always embedded at the core of uh, any program we deliver for that to understand that anybody and everybody can do anything despite regardless your background the chain your gender and and all that that's it's a difficult thing to do right because it's so ingrained in us, as, as you say, sometimes he's kind of the cultural influence of all this. Now, I know one of the approaches that Borderless takes is the community-based protection and development approach. Yeah. Can you expand on that a bit? So I'll tell you a little bit about Borderless. In a nutshell, Borderless is uh, one of my favorite NGOs. Uh, but Borderless is, uh, the, the main purpose and meaning of Borderless is to have a world where everybody have, of course, equal rights, but we want to have the community, uh, community building. Uh, okay, no, so I'm missing. So the vision of it is to have a uh, community centers around Lebanon where um, we do educate children, upskill youth, and empower women um, and disadvantaged and marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things you're doing doing to make that happen? Uh, so to make that happen, we educate children by providing basic literacy and numeracy programs, uh, extracurricular skills. There's mural arts, there's uh, music. So we try to expose children to anything and everything that we can. Um, 
and uh, we the core of it is to educate them because the end goal is to make sure that that child goes back to school. So really borderless is in one of the Sozai is one of the communities where you see a lot of children on the street. Uh, and the founder and the Ajabi, when she saw those children of the street, she really wanted to make sure that they are off the street and to give them the opportunity to go out into the world and see what they can do instead of being on the street. So to start with that, she realized education comes first. And this is how it started really to protect just for child protection and education. And from there, uh, they would go into different levels, wake borderless until they're ready to integrate back into the school. And then when it came, when it comes to youth, uh, youth, some of the youth, it was a little bit too late for them to like go back to the basic of education. So they would learn. So anything, so we do a lot of vocational programs, but uh, to do those vocational programs, you have to take English and digital literacy because we believe that for them to integrate back into uh, the job market, they need those skills. So we try to upskill them with carpentry, with, um, uh, Photoshop, uh, so, so like, uh, I'm trying to think of all the locations we worship. So right now we, we also have a uh, cellular, um, fixing the cellulars. So all those, uh, handy stuff that they can do and integrate back into the market is what we try to provide them with. Um, and we're also doing a lot of youth net initiatives. So we're trying to teach them. And uh, so they group up, they team up and, um, they they come up with a project and we try to get them funds for them to implement the project and present it. We teach them some leadership skills. So we're really trying to grow and widen the horizon to integrate back into the job market. And as for women, um, we we had we 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 had the women initiative called Stitching Hope. Yes, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. So Stitching Hope uh, is um, is a concept where we bring in marginalized and disadvantaged women, vulnerable. And we teach them how to stitch and uh, they take those products that they make and they go back into the, uh, it's like a farmer's market in Lebanon. They go back and they send it to the farmer's market and they generate their income. So this was up and running for some time uh, until we had some issues with the funding. So we had to put it on hold. Uh, but I mean, being part of Portobus, this is how I started my personal uh, brand, which was uh, Feministia. Uh, and the purpose of Feminicia is to create millions of advocates around the world to speak about women's rights. But I could, I would have never created that brand without those women. So while working on ground and while seeing those women and having those conversations with them, I realized that to empower women is to really help them financially. And I really wanted people to ask about what feminism is. So it was just the right thing to do. Um, so I started my project with uh, Stitching Wolf and uh, we started uh, embroidering the word feminist in Arabic on multiple products and they would sell it. And this is how I was able to grow my personal brand. So that's one thing as Stitching Wolf. Another thing is we empower women by uh, supporting them psycho, uh, psychosocial support sessions uh, for them to be able how to understand themselves, understand their children, work on their mental health. And we're currently running a program, a vocational program for women, where they learn how to do makeup, uh, hair, uh, nails, um, macrame, and not only that. So those are the hard skills that they're learning with their hands, something new that they can do. Uh, but we supplement it with a soft skills, which is how to create your own CV, how to create your social media platforms, uh, 
how to uh, entrepreneurship course. So we're really trying to equip them with uh, both hard and soft skills for them to be able to either integrate with the job market or simply start their own thing if they are limited to go back and or limited to go and work. Um, so this is one of the programs that's currently running in Carantina. Uh, so that's how we're doing it on the ground. So we have, we're doing those activities both in Uzai and in Carantina. Okay. And for those who want to support the project, of course, you can donate to uh, Borderless. And by the way, it's borderless.org. Okay. Borderless NGO, sorry, borderlessngo.org. And I'll put a link in the description. Um, so of course you can help by volunteering, um, donating money. But one thing I was wondering too, is with the embroidery or with the photography, cause you also teach the children photography, That's right? They use uh, is there any way for people to purchase this uh, outside of these markets, maybe online or anything like that? I mean, we are working on something to start putting things that the children, youth, and women does online because right now we have a lot of painting. So we're really big on mural arts and uh, the children have painted really beautiful pictures that you can see on our social media platform. Um, and we are sending it at the market, but we want to find a way to put that on our website for people to be able to purchase. And same thing with the women, uh, they're producing a lot of beautiful macrame uh, products that people will be able to purchase or simply donate through the link and receive it. Ah, okay. Excellent. All right. Well, once that's set up, I'll put that on my website without borders.fyi. And then of course people can find it on borderless NGO as well. Um, another thing I'm interested in is you mentioned um uh helping the women with mental health right mm -hmm. what are some of the approaches that borderless takes with this because i know that depending on where you are in the world you have to be very sensitive to how you approach mental health right how we approach approach mental health in the west uh versus in the east or it's anywhere around the world can be much different and sometimes what helps in the west can lead to some problems um in the east things like this so what, what are some of the approaches? The borderless is very big on mental health. Mental health is again at the core of almost all the activities that we do as well. Um, so working with disadvantaged and marginalized community is not something that's very easy because their problems is completely different from someone who has a nice house or just a, at least who have a house, a food to eat and uh, enough money to go out or like do anything. Uh, so their problems are completely different. And we make sure to to embed the mental health aspect in all the programs. For example, when it comes to, so through the psychosocial support, we do a lot of uh, emotions. Uh, we try to teach them about what emotions are and make them aware about that they can feel angry, they can feel sad, they can feel happy because the more you talk to, to, to people and beneficiaries on the ground, the more you realize that this is something that is, they don't even think about. And same thing with women. Uh, we teach them about their own mental health and how they can take care of their own mental health. Because women on the ground, women as like the beneficiaries, mm -hmm. are, they, again, they have different problems because what they, the only thing they care about is survival, is uh, how will they feed their children, is how will they support their families. Mm -hmm. uh, so we try to listen to them as much as we can, and we try to cater to their needs to find uh, ways to help them cope with their environments. Okay. And you're also 
partnered with quite a few people. A lot of um, different organizations work with Borderless, correct? Correct. So, yeah, we, we, we've worked with a lot of other organizations. Uh, some of them ask collaboration. Some of them, uh, they come and fund us for programs that we want to deliver. Um, so we're always on the go making relationships uh, for the sake of the community. Okay. Now, just tying into emotions, uh, because this is Without Borders, and I'm always trying to understand some parts of different cultures. And I heard about the evil eye in um, in many Arabian countries. And what, what does that mean, the evil eye? I read it, it has something to do with envy, but is there more to it? So that's all you know. I want to know what you think about what evil eye is. That's the thing. I don't know much about it. <laughs> um, I just know that it, it stems from envy. So if you get the mm. evil eye, it stems from envy. That That's all I know about it. I mean, it's I don't know if it's super official or not. So I'm, I'm not the right person to be talking about it. I don't have, okay. but I don't think I have the right words to explain what the evil eye is. But what I know uh, on the personal level is when when you envy someone, as you said it, um, and that's why you see the the blue eye everywhere, thinking that it will protect you from the envy. And I don't know if that works or not. Um, <laughs> But, but that's what it is, the evil eye. So when someone is that they very successful and the, you meet another person who is jealous or something and they would transfer this negative energy to you and whoop, an evil eye. That's what they say. Ah, okay. Well, that's interesting as well. Um, when helping the children and women uh, at Borderless, do you have to be aware of any cultural superstitions and be sensitive to how to approach certain things? Of course. So at Borderless, we have people from Syria, Lebanon. Um, sometimes we have the beneficiary from Yemen, uh, sometimes Palestine. So they all come with different backgrounds and different cultures and different beliefs. And we do work with everybody in a way that is not disrespectful towards their own culture in a way that they can take in the information and understand it instead of enforcing it on them. Because sometimes there are limited beliefs uh, that it's like when you're explaining something and they have this, like the example when it comes to women empowerment. Women have a lot of limited beliefs about themselves and it's embedded in their culture. Women are not allowed to do so many things. And when we try to come and change that mindset, whether from for whether explaining it to you with girls or women about what women can do and what women can achieve. We try to, of course, take into consideration all their cultural norms um, and with a conversation would turn in a way for them to be able to really understand what we're trying to say. And of course, it goes into phases because if you just say it as it is, it would be shocking. So we are very mindful when it comes to these things. Yeah. Okay. Can we dig a little bit deeper into that? Like, let's say anyone listening to the show right now wants to come and volunteer and help. What are some things they should be aware of? Um, some cultural sensitivities that they should be aware of before before coming. Cultural sensitivities. So it really depends on the community. So when you go into a community, you need to respect the community rules. And if you want to make a change within that community, you need to start by conversations. And those conversations will be based on personal experience. Because I think this is one of the most authentic ways to start change by sharing your own authentic stories. 
and helping others to see the differences. So anyone who would like to come and volunteer with Borderless on ground uh, just needs to be uh, mindful that those people they're going to be working with are coming from really harsh environments most of the time. Um, they have different beliefs. Uh, they have different values. Um, they see the world and their outlook on the world is completely different. And what we can do is basically come in, share our stories, show them the different side, show them some mm-hmm. pictures, show them some videos, make it fun and entertaining, um, and simply be with them uh, without feeling, without creating that distance, that not power distance, a distance where they, they, they should not realize that there's a difference. We're all people. So I think this is one of the most important things to keep in mind to be mindful that we're all people no matter where we're from, no matter who we are, no matter what our background is. Just be with them. Be one of them, basically. Exactly. I think that's how our two pro- our both the projects have similar goals. And that's also why I think we came up with the name Borderless. And yeah. in my case, Without Borders, right? It's kind of breaking down these borders and showing how we are the same. But of course, before we understand how we are the same as humans, we do have to understand some of the cultural dif- differences Otherwise, um, sometimes the differences can get highlighted and we can fall into problems, of course. Correct. Uh, this is just a little note I was just curious about because, again, it ties into emotions. Um, I read that in certain Arab populations, it's dishonorable if a man does, does not respond to an insult with a great demonstration of anger. Is this true or does this depend from region to region? I just... I mean, that's a good question, and I think it's an eye-opening question. Uh, I cannot generalize and say, like, men is insulted if they do not respond with a lot of anger, right? So that was, yeah, of course. You can never generalize can these just, types of stats in this information. Yeah, and, and I think what we really do through the psychosocial support session is actually teach them how to cope with this, teach them how to react, help them realize that there's different ways. Uh, but men in the Middle East are really different. There's like there's a lot of there's a lot of men in the Middle East who react in a different way, and I don't think that it would be fair to say if they don't respond in an anger way to insult, then it's uh, they're insulted. I wouldn't say that. Not all of them. Of course not. But um, where do you think this this fact comes, or not a fact, but where does this generalization come from, and is there some truth to it? depending on the regions and does it cause any problems maybe for women and children um i don't know i think it really depends what we're talking about here so if if you are not let's take not arab men in general let's take the beneficiaries that work with it both of us and they do show sign of um anger of course frustration and that comes because of the lack of um financial stability uh, they can really feed their children. And I'm not defending them, but I'm just trying to explain where this frustration comes from. And of course, when they're insulted, they feel vulnerable. And when they feel vulnerable, they're going to react. And it takes a lot away from their manhood uh, that they cannot provide for their families. And what we, uh, our part is really, we, we come in and try to make them see that there are different ways of responding to these things. There are different ways that they can go out and generate income for example we teach them a vocational workshop and they start putting that confidence back for them to be able to really cope with their environment 
but to say that all Arab men um, react, um, I think that's a stereotype, and it's not true. Yes, of course. And that's also not what I read as a stereotype, right? I just read that um, it's dishonorable if you don't react to it. And... It's not. It's not dishonorable. Okay. Unless you're talking okay. to like somebody in a village that is barely exposed to anything, no information, then yeah, I would tell you maybe that's how they think. But I, I, I wouldn't say most of them are like that, no. Ah, okay. All right. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, all right. We're almost at the half hour mark here. So Tima and I are going to continue talking and then I'll release the next episode afterwards. Okay. Uh, so just keep in mind, this was Without Borders. You can access the transcript at withoutborders.fyi. And remember to check out borderlessngo.org. Links will all be provided in the description. So please tune in next week to listen to the next part of our conversations.